Yes, it's that time again, boys and goyles. Well, I have an appointment, so i got to sneak this in, this one in real quickly before I take a shower and get prepared to go. Um, a suggestion. If you have doctor's appointments or massage therapy, chiropractor, dental, any, any appointment whatsoever, um, I would suggest you shower just before you go to the appointment. Never go to an appointment. Uh, where there have been hours since you showered. Yeah. I think if you can, which I can, you should always shower within the first, within two hours of going to your appointment. Never freaking go in there <laughs> unshowered. I know people do it. I don't know how they do it. I know they do it. I don't do it. Okay. That's a lot of it's. Um, because my time is constrained, you only get your normal introduction. I'll get right to it. I am amazed. Yes. Freaking amazed. Freaking amazed is superior to just being amazed. Um, when I talk to people, it's, it's just, oh, I can't think of a better word. It's amazing. It's fascinating. I guess fascinating um, is better than amazing. Fascinating. Let's do fascinating. That, that probably says it better. I'm fascinated that people think that things would be so much better if everybody thought the way they thought or everybody believed what they believe and everybody um, was the same as they are in, in, in most things, especially. I am. I'm, I'm fascinated. <clears throat> One, because there's no guarantee. Well, yeah, there's no guarantee that would make you happy. I've seen those, ah, get that yawn out. I've seen those types of friendships where they were almost like Tweedledee, Tweedledum. I'm not kidding you. They were so much alike. It was crazy. And, and they made concessions to one another. So when one liked something, the other said they liked it too, just for the sake of preserving the relationship, which I never understand that kind of an approach. Um, I, I do not make that effort. Um, if you like a movie I don't like, I don't like the movie because you like it. I just, I can't do that stuff. I think it's phony too. <sighs> well, anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. Anyway, recently I was talking to some people who basically felt that the world would be so much better if everybody just agreed with with everybody everybody and this is basically what they said it would be so much better if people would just agreed with one another well that when people make statements like that to me my immediate thought is they haven't really thought this through they really haven't they um they don't huh, they really don't have an understanding of things because that is so short-sighted to think that that would solve all the problems. Because basically that's what they said. They said, you know, if everybody just agreed with one another, we wouldn't have any problems. That in itself causes problems. Because who is the one who's going to decide that whatever it is to be agreed upon is the right thing? Yeah. That's why I say they don't, they don't think. They don't take it. <sighs> I wonder if they yawn. Maybe that's what the problem is. They don't think things through. I see a tremendous effort 
in this in society to homogenize people. Um, and I think one of the greatest efforts I see in this process of a homogenization is to silence people, um, to constrain people so they can't express themselves. Um, so they're, they're driven to consensus because in order to participate with other people in society, there's this established norm. And you see it, it's, it's, really, it's, it's really gaining momentum. And that is, um, well, I, I'm, I'm just going to say it because I can't think of a better way to do it. There seems to be this effort which is gaining momentum, which says that uh, when you're alone, you can have your own thoughts and beliefs and what have you on things. But when you're with people, uh, yawning. No, when you're with people, when you're among society, you cannot do that. You see that tremendously. You see um, terms like misinformation, disinformation. Um, it's just, it's just amazing. Like someone, someone posted something on Instagram, and I'm really getting to the point where I'm, I'm scaling back my responses because some of the things are so ridiculous. It's not worth even commenting on. It's you. You get past the. What happens with me? <sighs> I'm so sorry. Just yawning. What happens with me? I'll see something so ridiculous. Somebody will post something that's so freaking ridiculous. I feel somebody needs to say something against it because um, there needs to be two viewpoints at least to get people to think and decide for themselves what their viewpoint is. So typically in Instagram, especially the post or Twitter, my response is, is not to counter the person making their statement as much as it is. My intent is to, excuse me, offer um, another view on it. So a person viewing the material can make up their own mind, decide for themselves um, and determine where they stand. Some people, oh, my mom, I'm going to sit up. Maybe that'll help. I think with some people, they respond to these things against the person and their viewpoint. I don't do the direct assault. What I do is I try to factor in the third or fourth or fifth or whatever number of people see the post. I'm considering them. So if there is a, you know, supposed or apparent opposition to what somebody posted and I comment on it, my comment isn't weighted against what they say, and it's not against the person whatsoever. It's against their comment. The, the greater portion is to offer a viewpoint that is... Um, and that's only if I disagree. If I agree, then I agree, and I tell them. I, I give them my agreement. But if I'm against what this person has posted, it's to help other people see two sides to the, whatever they post. You know, they see the side of the person who made the post, and they see my side of what I post, you know, contradicting. <sighs> 
or questioning what somebody else has posted. But it's not a personal thing. I'm not trying to get into a, you know, a fight with the person or embarrass them or anything like that. I'm just saying that, well, I'm going to give you a classic, a classic meaning, something, uh, an example. Um, I don't know who it was because I didn't bother paying any attention to who posted it. Somebody posted uh, a black professor, a woman, older woman, saying that white supremacy, um, she was tying racism into white supremacy, um, basically saying that what racism, racism exists between the two different colors, white and black, you know, you know, white people in, you know, Negro or black or African, whatever one you use, I use black. So basically what she, she used black too. So what she was saying was that the relationship between um, the white race and the black race is like a chessboard. And, and this is true in the rules of chess, white always moves first, but the colors could be red and blue. They could be, you know, yellow and orange the fact that chess pieces are usually white and black is just a traditional colors it has nothing to do with race and the fact that white gets to move first it's just the rules of the game it wasn't thought out by the ku klux klan for instance or the you know the masons that the white pieces got to go first because they're white but she was she was suggesting that you could understand racism by the chessboard, by the game of chess. And that is that whites have an advantage. They've structured everything, basically, institutions, whatever, to give them the advantage over the black person. And in blacks only respond to the moves that whites make. Well, I listened to that and I thought, what, what a delusion. So my question to this person was, if racism only ex exists between whites and blacks, basically saying, you know, if white, if racism only exists between two different colors of people, how does that explain black on black genocide? Because they mentioned she mentioned genocide. Well, how does that explain the genocide between the Hutu and the Tutsis in Nigeria? where um, the Hutu, I believe it was the Hutus were um, killing the Tutsis, um, just massacring these people with machetes, cutting off their hands so they couldn't feed themselves, cutting off women's breasts so they couldn't feed their babies. I mean, the atrocities were just unfreaking believable uh, what was going on. It might have been the Tutsis to the Hutus. I can't remember which group was was committing genocide against the other, but... But they were, they were both black. There were no whites involved in this genocide. This was black on black. Just like black on black crime in the inner city. You can't blame that on racism. When a black man, uh, you know, mugs a, a, a black woman or rapes her or murders her or two, you know, black men are killing each other. That has nothing to do with racism with whites or white supremacy. This is black on black crime. So my question to this person was, um, how do you explain the genocide that occurred in Rwanda, Nigeria, the Congo? I mean, the list goes on. Somalia, Ethiopia. 
Kenya, South Africa. There's been a tremendous, now South Africa did have apartheid and did have white on black crime and stuff and, and what have you. But the, the point I was trying to make is that, um, and how does this explain racism and genocidal, for instance, Myanmar, for instance, or the Chinese killing their own people during Mao's term, which they estimate between 70 to 100 million people were killed under Mao in the Cultural Revolution. How does that chessboard analogy fit in? If you want to limit it to, to white and black, how does that answer what happens in Africa, where whites are not involved in this kind of a thing? I thought it was a valid question. Well, I get a reproof from the person referring me to the Berlin conference, which I don't remember. Racial things I don't have a lot of experience in. I don't, you know, even the slavery thing of, you know, that led to the Civil War. I have a very limited understanding because it didn't interest me to study. It was not my area of study. My area of study was Cold War. Um, really, um, you know, European history from 1900, or basically history from 1900 to the end of the Vietnam War. That's that is my area of study, my strength. World War One, World War Two, Korea, um, Vietnam, uh, in politics too, Cold War era politics and things like that. That's why I say Ukraine is nothing to us. We have no business being there. You cannot have a Hama you cannot have a homogenization of people and think that's going to bring perfection. Utopian societies have proven that they do not work. If you take two white people and put them together, you have diversity. Now people say some people say no, you don't because they're white. Well, Diversity takes the form of many things. It's not limited to race. Put two black people together, there's diversity there. Put two men together, there's diversity there. Two women. Diversity exists naturally. It does not, it's not some social construct by elites or by intellectuals that doesn't exist under certain circumstances, diversity in nature, diversity in people, uh, diversity in circumstances, basic circumstances, um, except in the exact sciences. And then there's diversity there too when you broaden it out. That naturally exists and it's a good thing. And seeking to have a society where everybody agrees on everything is impossible. You may have the appearance of it, but you don't have the substance of it. And that's why, for instance, in marriages, you'll you'll find some radical differences between the people in, in the marriage, but they get along great. They have a very happy marriage, very fulfilling relationship, despite this, the fact that they differ in many ways. They have different opinions, different likes, dislikes, but they're still able to, and this is what I'm going to say as far as the you know people or uh, diversity in people and, and what have you, society. Society works better when everybody seeks their interests first and is willing to make 
um, some accommodations for other people. There was a woman who posted something about accommodation, acceptance, and accommodation. Um, and it's true. Um, there are people that we readily accept. There are people we make accommodations for. There are people that we tolerate. Yeah. And then there are people we ostracize. Those are the four major groups. So there are people that, and with the exceptions area of people, there's some people that are very close to us. Then there are some people we accept who aren't very close to us. Um, and then there are people who we don't really accept, but we make an accommodation for because the circumstances require it. The situation requires it. And then there are people we tolerate. We don't accept them. We don't really make an accommodation for them on the level of accommodation. We tolerate them, which means we put up with them. And then there are the people we ostracize. Now, everybody does this. Um, and to, for someone to claim they don't, they're either an idiot or they just don't realize they're doing it. So it's either idiocy or ignorance, one of the two. Um, because we all do it, though we may not think about it in such concrete terms, and we may not be aware of it um, you know, in, in such a way that we can identify those four areas. Nonetheless, we do operate in those four areas when it comes to people. We operate in those four areas when it comes to things, things in general, movies, um, the sun. If <laughs> you're going out into the sun, some people just go out in the sun, some women in string bikinis and lay under the sun to their golden brown. Um, that's accepting. Some people make an accommodation. They go out in the sun for a certain period of time with sunscreen, and then they get out of the sun. Some people tolerate the sun. They have to work in the sun, so they do everything they can to shield themselves from it, but nonetheless, they're in it. And then some don't go out into the sun. They only go out when it's a cloudy day or they stay in their house. They do. They basically ostracize the sun. They do everything they can to not be influenced by the sun. These four categorical areas of a person exist, whether they're understood, whether, whether they're aware, they exist, and everybody operates within them. And you're going to discover, I think, in the near future, this this effort to supersede these areas of a person's life and cause people to narrow it down to a private life they keep private in their social life where they behave a certain way to be socially accepted, there's going to be great conflict because when people are really pushed, and I say people, I'm talking about large groups of people, when they're really pushed to conform to that level, they're not going to. It goes against human nature. People, it goes against the human nature to be compelled, to be forced, to be intimidated. All those things go, are contrary to the person's nature to want to be free, to act for themselves. People will give a tremendous um, amount, a tremendous latitude to governments and to other people and to institutions, clubs, you know, um, religious affiliation. They'll give a tremendous latitude, but there comes the point where they say, no, 
it, it's just human nature. Um, we are nearing that point where the, the social experiment that has been going on for the last few decades is going to reach a zenith. <clears throat> and people are going to say, no, you saw it with teaching critical race theory in schools. When it was really pushed, people pushed back. People said no. You know, you're seeing it in politics. People are saying no. People Defunding the police. That went for a while. People are saying no. So the pendulum, when it swings too far one way, will self-correct because of the common man and woman, um, the average citizen, people. When the pendulum swings too far one way, the people will correct. Whether it's to the right or the left, it doesn't matter. When the pendulum inappropriately swings too far in either direction, a correction always comes. Stock market corrects, cultures correct, cultures go, you know, from being very um, morally stringent, you know, societies to very permissive, promiscuous societies, and then they swing back the other way. So there's this momentum. I use a pendulum to illustrate left to right, but there's this momentum in societies with people swinging back and forth. Now, we do know from historical texts that there will be things will be very, um, very bad, I guess is the best way to put it, that societies will degrade to levels never seen before in history, but that's not true either. Because if you read the time of Noah, you know, Noah and the Ark, if you read what society was like during the time of Noah, things were pretty bad when it says that every imagine the imagination of every man, woman, and child. Basically, what it's, I'm going to paraphrase, but what it says is that the imagination of the people was to do evil continually. So the people were so corrupt that their constant thoughts were to do evil. Um, they say that in that society, uh, Noah, and during Noah's time, the society was highlighted by two things, sex and violence, those two things. Um, of, of all other evil, sex and violence were the two biggest ones. Uh, very promiscuous, very violent, um, violent society during that time to the, such a point that the scriptures tell us that God decided to destroy, take man from the earth to destroy all flesh, save it be those who went into the ark. And we know from reading the scriptures that only seven people went on the ark. The rest of mankind was destroyed um, by the flood. Now, if things we're still around today. So things evidently have not gotten that bad because if things were that bad again, then there would be a need to cleanse the earth again of humans and start again. Um, somebody asked me one time, why, um, why the flood? And of course there's, you know, the flood was with water. So symbolically it was the earth being baptized. But another reason was, one of the one of the rights, and it's found in the Constitution, one of the rights we have from God is the freedom of choice. That's a that's a God given right, free agency. 
And as I said, it's found in the Constitution. We have the right um, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's free agency. We have that right. And during um, Noah's time, things were so bad. Things were so evil that individuals were not able to truly exercise their right to free agency. Um, I won't say that it's not that bad today, but you can see that people's ability to exercise their free agency has been severely constrained by government in particular. Society itself imposes limits on what a person can do. And where the intent was that a person would govern themselves, people do a very poor job of governing themselves. So when a person fails to govern themselves, if enough people do it, the society is affected by it. And if the society itself begins to not govern itself, well, then there's a social breakdown of standards and social breakdown of law. And people become a law unto themselves and they don't honor law. Then the government, it's a, it's a domino effect, basically, because government is comprised of people. So when I hear systemic racism, no, there is no institution in the United States that is systemically racist. There isn't. But there are institutions that have people in them who are racist, both Democrat and Republican. Yeah. Both elected and appointed, bureaucracies and such. So the things, the evil that exists within people and this homogenization of people to try to get them to, to do things. The COVID was a was a classical case. You see people riding in their car alone wearing a mask. That makes no sense. It really doesn't. Um, you see um, you understand it's a flu-type virus, but you see multiple boosters for the flu, unnecessary. And it doesn't even, science has proven it doesn't protect. So there's a lot of things that people will adopt to feel like they're part of the group that are not true, not they're, they're not correct, um, and they have no validity. Now, what is the solution? Well, certainly we don't want everybody. I don't want everybody being like me. That would bore the life out of me. I'm already bored with people anyway. I can just imagine what it would be like if everybody was like me. I think the solution is this. To maintain our individuality, our sovereignty as much as possible, and to, as a sovereign, as an individual, to be respectful of other people. And in some cases, to tolerate their viewpoints that may differ from ours. Um, to not get personal with somebody's viewpoint or position or belief, but view it as it's theirs, not mine. In other words, to work together, but not to sacrifice or surrender who you are. If you, if somebody, if you're discussing something with somebody and they tell you something, and you can honestly look at it and agree with them. You know, you can say, yeah. And you come to believe that what they just told you is true. Or they present facts and evidence, which proves that what they're saying is true. And then you decide that you're going to adopt that. And you really should always be on the side of truth anyway. 
um, your being honest should never be governed by your associations or a supposed advantage that you might get by saying otherwise. Always being on the side of truth is mandatory if we are to develop and become the person we're supposed to be. It's mandatory if we're going to be someone whose influence is for good in the lives of other people. So there's a tremendous responsibility we have as an individual to stand independent of, of falsehoods and lies. Now, misinformation, disinformation, um, it's a very fluid term because with some people, misinformation is understood for what it really is. It's misinformation. It's not the truth. It's, it's a charade. For other people, it's used as a cudgel, and that is to silence people or to misrepresent people. So when a person says, for instance, in the Ukraine, um, there was a statement um, Putin alleged that there were bio labs in the Ukraine that were owned and operated by the U.S. I have not seen evidence that there are bio labs in the Ukraine. But after the thing with China and Fauci and COVID and gain of function, and it wouldn't surprise me if there were. It wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and it makes a lot of sense that they would be in the Ukraine. But I haven't seen the evidence. So I haven't signed off to what Putin has said to be true or false, but I do leave room enough to consider that it may be true. That may be a possibility. Um, if it becomes known that it is the truth, okay, then it is true. And then I'll accept it as such. But until then, because I don't have the evidence, um, I will not jump on the bandwagon of people who go around saying there are bio labs in, in the Ukraine. I haven't seen the evidence for it. It's not misinformation. If I tell someone, I wouldn't be surprised if they have them. That's not misinformation yeah. because I'm not stating they do. I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me if they do. So I think we need to, as a people, we need to be able to weather those storms of dissent when someone tries to misrepresent us or put words in our mouth or to intimidate us into silence. Um, I won't argue with people, but I certainly will not back away from defending myself on principles of truth. And I think we need more of that. We need people who are willing to stand for truth. We need people who are willing to accept other people's weaknesses and faults and like Fiddler on the Roof, if you watch Fiddler on the Roof, they do a very good job of saying he's the baker, he's the the bar owner, he's the rabbi. And they talk about all these different people, how this man sold him a horse and said it was six years old and it was really 12. So you have all these different people with all their strengths and faults and weaknesses, and they get along together. They make it work. And I think that's what we need to do. It would be a much better society, if I think, if we did. All right, that's it. Goodbye.